right, 10.30, how are we? We, we are close and we are warm, right? My wife looked at me right before she, I came up. She said, it's hot in here. And uh, if she's saying that, I, I know it's hot because she's cold all the time. So, uh, hey, thanks for being here. Um, I'll take liberty on certain mornings like this, especially in this service, to say, and, and in light of this, I know we have a lot of visitors here this morning to celebrate baptism. So, man, thanks for being here with us. Um, it's going to be an awesome time. But uh, if you're a regular attender, I'll just keep reminding you, we got plenty of space in our 9 o'clock service, and we got a little bit in our later ones. So if you're claustrophobic, if you don't like all these people, come a little bit earlier, and, uh, and you can have a seat all to yourself, all right? So uh, thanks for being here this morning. Hey, the past few weeks, we've been in a series called The Prayer Series, and we've done a couple of interactive things uh, to go along with this series that we wanted to remind you of again one is our prayer blog at westridge.com slash pray. You can go there, read prayer requests from people inside the church. You've posted them, pray for them. And you can also post prayer requests of your own and have people go and visit and pray for you as well. So take advantage of that. Um, the other thing, we've been reading the Bible together as a church. We put uh, on our Facebook page a psalm reading plan, read through the book of Psalms, which is a book of songs and prayers that were written, and uh, you can go to facebook.com slash westridgechurch.cartersville, like our page, and you can go there regularly and uh, get the readings and take part in that as well, all right? So take advantage of those resources. Let's get our Bibles, if we have them, and go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And as you're flipping there, I was just curious to know this morning, asked the first service the same question, about how many of us in the room grew up playing sports? Anybody in the room grew up playing sports? Lots of us. Um, I grew up playing sports, football, basic, uh, baseball, basketball. I was kind of a year-round sport kid. And uh, I don't know if you guys remember doing this, but I remember doing this like before games. And it was certain teams that, that we would do this together. We would get down on one knee before the games in the locker room or on the field, and we would recite the Lord's Prayer together. Anybody do that with your teams? Yeah. Um, I have vivid memories of my high school basketball team doing this in the locker room before games. One of the guys, let's pray together, and we'd hit a knee, and one of the guys would lead us, and, and we'd recite this prayer. Now, when I think back on that, I'm not real sure why we did it. Uh, we were a bunch of white guys from Paulden County, and we were trying to do our best to play basketball, but God knows we were horrible, and we didn't win many games. So maybe we were just praying it because we hoped that God would supernaturally act on our behalf and help us to win. Um, he never did. Uh, we lost all the time, but we kept praying the prayer. Um, one thing I do know is this. We weren't reciting that prayer together back in the locker room at East Paulding High School because I played on a basketball team where all the guys thought Jesus was so awesome, right? Like there wasn't one guy on the team going, Man, don't we love Jesus? Isn't he great? Let's pray together before the game. I had great guys on my team, but people um, back in those times when I went to school, those guys on my team, the guys who loved Jesus were trying to follow him. They were the exception and not the rule. So I know we weren't praying it for those right reasons. Um, when I was thinking back on that in preparation for the message this week, here's what I was just reminded of, and here's the realization I came to. I came to this realization that it's very easy for us to pray at times with very little or absolutely no understanding at all about the commitment that our words carry with them when we pray. 
And I'll kind of explain what I mean, okay? Again, back in those high school days in my life as a young Christian, um, I thought prayer was more about me going to God and getting him to make commitments to me, right? Like, God, I'm going to come. I'm going to ask you for this. I need this. I need you to act on my behalf. And no matter who I was, how I was living, whether or not I loved Jesus at the moment, God was supposed to hear my prayer and commit to me to do what I asked of him, Now, again, I think if we're honest this morning, there's a lot of us here, maybe that's your mindset when it comes to prayer, or maybe it used to be. Um, I'm going to tell you the problem with that mindset, okay? Here's the problem with that kind of mindset when it comes to prayer. The, The problem is this book. It's the Bible. See, according to the Bible and according to Jesus, prayer is not so much about me going to God to get him to make commitments to me as much as prayer is about me going to God and committing myself to his glory, his kingdom, and his will. Get my basketball team back in the day. We didn't care about doing great things for God, but we sure enough wanted God to do great things for us, right? Well, today, what I hope is if that's your mindset when it comes to prayer, I pray God blows that mindset up and replaces it with one that is biblical and one that, according to Jesus, honors God, makes an impact for his kingdom, and is about his will being done on the earth as it is in heaven. So, like we did last week, I want us to stand together, and we're going to pray this prayer together out loud. We're going to recite it from the screen. And uh, just so, again, we're not reading 18 different versions of the Bible, let's just read it from here together, all right? Jesus says this in Matthew 6. He tells his disciples and us to pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and glory forever. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can have a seat. So after Jesus teaches us how to properly address God in prayer, right? This was last week. Jesus comes and he says, when you talk to God, you need to approach him and address him as our dad who can do anything, right? That's our father in heaven, our dad who can do anything. Jesus gives us six very specific things that we need to pray for. He gives us six things that when we pray and talk to God, that we need to ask of him. Now, today we're going to focus on the first three. Next week, we're going to talk about the final three. But the first three things that Jesus tells us to ask God for when we pray are this. He says to go to God and ask him for his name to be hallowed, for his kingdom to come, and for his will to be done. Now, um, pay attention that those first requests of prayer don't really have much to do with me and you, do they? They have everything to do with him. And I think that this morning you're going to see why Jesus teaches prayer this way. Now, the other thing that we've got to understand this morning is this, is when Jesus gives us these first three requests of prayer, they're not just simply requests. They're commitments. And I'll explain it this way. Jesus, when he gives us this, he's not telling us just to go into the presence of God and pray, hey, God, it would uh, it'd be really cool if your name would be hallowed. 
Um, it'd be kind of great if your kingdom would come. Hey, God, I give you permission for your will to be done. I- instead, what these requests remind us of is this, is that if God's name being honored or hallowed, his kingdom coming, his will being done, if those things are going to become realities in and through our lives, we can't simply express our desire for them without committing to them. So this part of prayer instead should sound like this when we pray. We should come to God and say, God, I want your name to be hallowed. And God, I'm committing my life to live in such a way that that becomes reality. God, I want your kingdom to come to the earth. And God, I want to live my life in such a way that I help out in getting it here. God, I want your will to be done right here on the earth like it's being done in heaven. And so, God, I commit my life to your will. It's what you want, not what I want. This is the big idea for the day. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Church, prayer is a commitment. Prayer is a commitment. It's not all talk. It's not empty words. It's me and you committing to the things that we are asking of God. So this morning, we're just going to spend our time together talking about each of these three requests so that you and I can fully understand the commitment that we make to God every single time we pray. So I want you to write down this first one, okay? Jesus tells us again that we should pray and ask God for his name to be hallowed. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know anybody walking around talking about hallowing things, right? That's a weird word. And uh, if you don't know what it means, here's simply what it means. It comes from a Greek word that means to make holy, to treat as holy, or to treat with the highest honor. So again, Jesus is saying when you pray, you need to go and you need to ask God for his name to be treated with the highest honor, to be treated in a way where it's set apart from all other names. And when you ask for that, you commit to God to live your life in such a way where that is true about you. That's it. So I want to give you a couple practical ways that this fleshes out in our life on a daily basis. Again, it's one thing to talk about honoring the name of God, treating it as the name above all names. Um, It's another thing to understand how that looks and how we should live that out. So I'm going to try and help us by giving us just a couple of names for God that the Scripture uses, and we'll talk about how we can live in a way to honor these names. So the first name is this. um, It's Elohim. Elohim. And this name of God is simply the name creator. So here's the picture of it. You come to God, you say, God, I want your name to be honored, treated with the highest respect. You're literally saying to God, God, I commit myself to honor your name as Elohim or creator, as the one who spoke everything into being, hung the moon and the stars, put put the, the, the sun in the sky, the one who created over 300 billion galaxies, the one who right now, as the scripture says, is holding the universe together. This is who you're praying to. This is who you're telling you're going to honor, okay? Um, How do you honor that name creator? Here's how you do it. You live your life in such a way where you are worshiping and loving creator God and not created things. You live your life, church, don't miss this. You live your life in such a way where you love and you worship creator God and not created things. Things. 
Um, Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of people who got this wrong. They got it backwards. Instead of letting created things drive them to worship creator God, they looked at everything God had created and they just decided to worship it instead of him. And in response to that, here's what Paul writes in Romans 1, 19 through 25. Listen to this. He says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. You know what the Bible's saying? That God made everything so that we could never have an excuse to go, there's no God. There's no God. No, he said, the Bible goes, listen, God put on display who he is through everything he's made so that we can never look at what he's made and deny that he's real, that he's good, and that he's God. And and Paul goes on after this, and he says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, they didn't give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This is tragic tragic paul's going listen there are people in the world who again see everything god has created and they stop there they stop short and instead of letting those things serve as reminders that god is good and he deserves to be worshiped they just start bowing down to things that he's made they start worship those things become their gods and the scary thing about this passage is paul says listen there comes a point where god will eventually remove his hand off of the lives of people who do that and he does it because he'll just let them have what they want since they don't want him and he'll just give them up to themselves i, I pray um, that god never gives me over to myself and i hope that you pray that for yourself too it's tragic I'll give you a a clear example of how this idea plays out where we live, in our culture, in our country, okay? This is one we see all the time, no denying. People here do this all the time when it comes to sex. They do. They, They worship this thing instead of the God who created it, right? Like, church, you know that sex was God's idea, right? He made it, and because he made it, it's a good thing. Like, God didn't make Adam and Eve and then wander into the garden one day and go, what are you guys doing, right? Like, I didn't give you that for that. That's not what happened. God, God created it. He made it. And the very first command we see in the whole Bible is, Adam and Eve, go be fruitful and multiply. It was his idea. And so because of that, again, it's a very good thing. Now, again, do you know why God created sex? Here's why. Here's the answer. Um, It's because at the end of the day, he wanted to give us a gift that would always remind us that he is God, that he is good, and that he deserves to be worshipped. That's why. Now, again, where we live, there's a disconnect, right? People see God, people see sex, and they don't connect the two. And what they do is they see sex, and instead of going, wow, this is an amazing gift, God, you're good, 
What they do is they take sex and they go, wow, God, this is good. And they start worshiping this thing in place of the one who made it. Do you hear how ridiculous that is? I'm going to worship and serve and bow down to and idolize and pursue things that God has made and refuse to worship him as creator. Church, listen to me. When you do this in any area of your life, God fails to get honor and glory from you. This is idolatry, church. It is us choosing to worship and value created things over creator God. And I hope you're seeing this morning why I say prayer is a commitment. It's because we can't just come to God and empty or, or offer empty words and say, God, we want your name to be honored, name to be glorified, and then go out and pursue things that give him no glory. Like we can't bow down to things no matter how good they are because they were meant to drive us to worship him. Church, prayer is a commitment. It is God in this moment. I commit to honor your name as creator and worship you above all else because I believe you're worth it. That's it. Um, I'll give you another name. And then we'll go to the next point. The name Yeshua. Jesus. Church, every time we pray, we come to God and we ask him for his name to be glorified and we commit our lives to live in such a way that we honor the name of Jesus Christ, Savior, Rescuer, Redeemer, the one who came into the world to die on a cross in your place for your sins, to conquer sin and death and hell on your behalf so that you could have eternal life. Like this prayer of, God, I want your name to be hallowed, means again that you are committing yourself to honor the name of Jesus Christ above all other names. Now, can I tell you how you do that? It's really easy, okay? Here's how you do it. You get this book out, and you read about Jesus, and then by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, you go and you live like Jesus. That's how you do it. It's really that easy. Um, you leave this church building, and you love people like Jesus loved people. You take time for people that Jesus took time for. You stay humble, and you think about other people before you think about yourself. You look for ways to serve other people, even if you get nothing in return for doing it. You wake up in the mornings, and you, you commit to God to live a life of obedience and surrender to him every single day. And every chance you get, you share with people who don't know Jesus that God loved them so much that he sent his one and only son into the world, and he gave his life on a cross so that they could have forgiveness and freedom and eternal life. This is what you do. And again... Let me just make sure we get this, and I don't ever want to stop preaching this. We don't do those things just to be churchy. We don't do those things just to be religious. We don't do those things so we can run to God and go, God, look at all I'm doing for you. We do those things because we get how much God loves us and that Jesus was a demonstration of his love for us. And there's nothing we want more than to live lives that honor his name so that other people get how amazing Jesus is and how much he loves them. Church, this is what we commit to when we pray. There's nothing more important that we pray than, God, we want your name to be hallowed, honored, treated with the highest respect. This is it. The next thing that Jesus tells us to pray for is this. He says we should come to God and ask him for his kingdom to come. We should ask God for his kingdom to come. Now, what does the kingdom of God mean? Here's simply what it means. It means God's rule and his reign. 
God's rule and his reign. This part of prayer is simply about us thinking about that day when Jesus is going to come back, he's going to take his church to be with him, and he is going to rule and reign over all of his creation. Now, I've painted this picture before here. I'm going to do it again, right? The Bible says when that day comes, right, when Jesus peels back the sky and he comes into the earth with a hundred million angels to set up shop as king, that some things are going to happen, okay? Um, One, you and I, we get new bodies, and we will never suffer again, never shed a tear again, never feel pain again, never fear death again. On that day, Satan and sin will finally be defeated, and the world, the new heavens, the new earth, will be void of Satan and sin and all of its consequences. So think about this picture with me, okay? Think about an earth kind of like this one. And all of us are here and we're alive just like we are now. No sin, no consequences of it, no death, no anything. Jesus is here in the flesh with us. And he is ruling and he is reigning and everyone in existence loves him and worships him as God, Savior, and King. Church, um, the Bible says that day's coming for us. It's coming for us, for those of us that know him. And this part of prayer... It's about us stopping and going, God, would you let that come? God, send that now. God, we're waiting for that. We're hoping for that. We're longing for that. God, we want to live for that day. In 2 Peter chapter 3, um, Peter paints this great picture of what this longing should look for in our lives. And here's what he says. He says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt away as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Um, These verses for me... I don't want to act like I fully understand them. I'm really conservative in my theology, so I believe God is sovereign. He's always in control. He's only got plan A's, no plan B's. Like, God is active, not reactive, okay? Um, In this verse, so Peter says something crazy that messes with my head. He says, you should live such a godly life that it speeds up the coming of God's kingdom to the earth. So it's almost like Peter's saying, and this is where I get messed up, it's almost like he's saying you can live such a godly, holy life that God will send his kingdom even quicker than he was going to if you were living a life other than that. Now again, that messes with me, and I don't get it all the way, but here's what I know is true, right? Jesus, when it comes to prayer, said we should have this mindset about us when we pray for the kingdom, that we commit to God, I'm going to live my life in such a way where I try to get your kingdom here more quickly, That's the mindset. That's the attitude. God, I'm committing my life to live in such a way where when I think about your kingdom, man, I want it to be speeded up. I want it to reach the earth sooner than later. Now, again, church, if we're going to pray that, it means some things. Here's a few things it means. It means that there are some of us in here that have got to stop worrying so much about our kingdoms. Like, we can't ask God, we want you to rule and reign and send your kingdom when we're so concerned about building up our own kingdoms here on the earth and not really giving much thought to his. 
right? It, it means for some of us, we need to start putting aside our crazy, busy schedules for the sake of others at times. It means that when it comes to our money, we need to invest more in God's kingdom work rather than investing in building up our kingdom. It means that we've got to open our mouths when it comes to people who don't know Jesus and share Jesus with them. Right, Because when people come to know Jesus, it just means that God's rule and his reign and his kingdom has expanded by one more person. So again, we can't just offer these words up as empty words. God, I want your kingdom to come. We have to pray that and ask that and commit ourselves to it. God, we're committed to your kingdom. Here's what we can't forget. God is king. He is he is ruler, he is God, his kingdom is coming, whether we're ready for it or not. And I pray that that simple truth will change the way you not only pray, but the way you live every day. He's coming, he's coming. The last thing Jesus tells us to pray for is this. He says we should come to God and ask for his will to be done. We should ask for his will to be done. Now, I think personally, this is probably the hardest part of this prayer that Jesus gives. For us to come and say to God, God, we want your will to be done. And I'll tell you why I think this is probably the hardest part for a lot of us in the room, okay? Um, because we're sinners and we're selfish and we're prideful and a lot of us have a really hard time doing things that other people want done for us and a lot of us believe that what we want for ourselves is best for ourselves. Is that fair or is that just me? Am I the only guy in the room that thinks that way? Um, I mean, is it not true that... and and it ain't just a sinner pridefully, it's an American thing, right? Like, we want what we want, when we want it, and if we don't get what we want, when we want it. We have a tendency to pitch fit at times, don't we? I mean, this is just true, so listen to me. Praying for God's will means at some level we're coming before God and we're going, okay, God, I'm putting aside desires, I'm putting aside emotions, I'm putting aside feelings, I'm putting aside selfishness, God, I want what you want. Whatever you want, God, that's what I want. And I may not understand it. I may not get it. It might be hard. It might be uncomfortable. But God, I want what you want. You see, it's us being able to come to God and, and say to him this. God, here's what I want, but if you say no, I'm going to be okay with it. It's us being able to come to God and saying, God, here's what I want. If you say wait or later... I'm going to be okay with it. God, here's what I want. If you say yes, I'm going to celebrate it and tell everybody I know about what you've done for me. God, I just want what you want. See, there's two parts of this praying for God's will, okay? The first part is kind of what I've already alluded to. It's praying for God's hidden will to be done in our lives. Those situations where we don't really know what God wants to do, right? But we're going to pray, God, you just do your thing. And we pray that because we believe that what he wants for us is best for us. And we believe that what he wants is most glorifying to him. And so that's why we pray that prayer in situations and circumstances that we don't get, we don't understand, we don't know the outcome of. We pray and we go, God, I'm trusting you. I want your will to be done because I believe that your will is best. That's it. And I'm committed to it. God, I'll see it through no matter what happens. I believe this is going to work for your glory and my good. That's what I want. The other part of it is what we call God's revealed will, right? What God put in this book, gave to us, and said, go do these things. Like, you know that this is full of the will of God, right? 
And there's nothing worse than people who have this book, know what they're supposed to be doing, know the will of God, but use prayer as an excuse not to do what's here. And I don't want us to be that church who goes, well, there's God's will. Let me pray and see if he was talking to me, right? When I was a youth pastor, I used to bust on my students for this all the time. We would take mission trips every year um, over spring break. And I would have those few kids inevitably every year that I'd come to and go, hey, you're going to Jamaica with us. You're going to Brazil with us. You're going to Nicaragua with us. And you have those kids go, listen, I prayed about it, and uh, I feel like God's telling me not to go. And here's what I do. I just get this book and I go, it's interesting. Um, I don't know if I just have like a, a bad copy or something, but in my Bible, Jesus in Matthew 28 told all of his followers to go into all the world and to make disciples and to baptize people and to teach people everything that he's taught us. Like, that's in, is it in yours? I mean, it's in mine. And I'm going, dude, do not give me the I need to pray about it. He's already told us to do it. Here's what praying for the will of God means sometimes. It means we shut our mouths, we quit praying, and we just start doing what we know we need to do. That's it. And if we're not willing to do that, we can't pray, God, we want your will to be done. Church, listen to me again. Prayer is a commitment. It's a commitment. It's us coming to God and saying to him, we want your will to be done because we believe your name being honored is worth it. We want your will to be done, God, because we want to see your kingdom impacted. God, we want your will to be done because we believe you're going to get glory and it's going to be the best thing for us. That's it. It's prayer. It's a commitment. Um, one of the books I was reading this week as I was studying, I found this killer prayer from this guy named Richard Eileen. He was a Puritan, and he wrote this way back in 1755. And I just thought this was a great example of what it looks like to pray a prayer like we've talked about this morning. Here's what he says. He says, I'm no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and your disposal. That's what it sounds like to pray. God, we want your name to be hallowed. We want your kingdom to come. We want your will to be done. It's a prayer that says, God, whatever you want, that's what I want. If it means suffering, I'll suffer. If it means blessing, then bless me. If it means I live in abundance, give me abundance. If it means I live in lack, God, let me live in lack. Whatever you want for me, for the glory of your name, for the coming of your kingdom, and for your glory and my good, God, that's what I want. That's what I want. Church, um, you know... There's more to live for than this crappy old earth, right? I think that's why we have such a hard time praying this prayer at times, man. It's because we're stuck living for here. We've got to get our eyes off of this place, our hearts off of this world, and we've got to think about what waits for us. We've got to press forward and persevere and pursue Jesus and tell as many people about him as we can before we end up with him one day. Church, this world is not what it's about. Please don't get distracted by what's here. 
for the glory of his name, for the coming of his kingdom, for his will to be done in and through our lives. Don't get caught up here, church. I want us in just a moment to just pray this prayer. If we can, honestly before God. I just want to invite you to that. If you can't pray it this morning, don't offer him empty words. Maybe you just need to repent of sin. Maybe you need to come to God and just ask him to help these things be true about you. Here's what I'll tell you. God loves you and he wants to help you. He's not mad at you. He wants these things to be true of you, okay? So don't come to him in fear or shame. He wants to help you get to where we've talked about this morning. If you don't know Jesus, you cannot live a life that honors his name, that advances his kingdom, and that accomplishes his will if you don't know him. In just a few minutes, we're going to be baptizing some people up here on the stage. And uh, this act of baptism, we don't believe as a church it saves anybody just getting dunked. We believe that this is a symbol and a representation of what Jesus has done in you. He saves you, right? You've been baptized into him. And so we do this as our statement publicly that I belong to Jesus. He saved me. Listen, if you don't know Jesus this morning, here's what I'm going to invite you to. Go talk to one of our pastors in the back of the room. They can talk to you about how to come to know Jesus in a real way. And then I would just invite you to come up here and be baptized. Let the church know what you've done. If you go, I don't have clothes, we have clothes. We have shorts, we have t-shirts, we have undergarments, we have everything that you need. So if you want to make that decision this morning to place your faith in Jesus and to trust him as Savior and Lord, be ready for his kingdom's coming. Go and talk to one of our pastors. We love to pray with you. Before these guys sing, I just want to take a moment and pray for us. And then you can respond to God however he's leading you this morning. So will you pray with me? Father, help us, God, not to just meet in your name on mornings like this and then to leave and not think about you again for the rest of the week until we come back. God, help us to be those people, God, who truly live our lives for the glory of your name, looking forward to your coming God, who live lives committed to your will and your glory and our good. God, help us to believe that you're a loving father who wants the best for us as your kids and that one day we're gonna spend eternity with you in your presence, experiencing your kindness and your love for us perfectly forever. God, awaken faith inside of hearts this morning, God. Call people to so much more, God, than what they're living for now. Help us not to get distracted by this world that we're living in, God, but to set our hearts and our minds and our longings on what waits for us after all this is over. God, we love you and we thank you for Jesus who makes all of this possible. God, this morning we pray that your name would be honored in this place. We pray this in the powerful, amazing name of Jesus. Amen.